Welcome back to another episode of Isolation, a mini-series from Creative Rebels where we talk to the creatives behind the cameras. In this episode, I talk to the incredibly talented and hardworking beauty and fashion photographer, Lindsay Adler. Lindsay loves educating and has written five books to help photographers, with a sixth on its way. In this great conversation, we talk about developing your style, getting feedback, and giving away secrets. Hi, Lindsay. Hey, how's it going? Good. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. How's everything going? Well, that's um, a challenging question. It is. That's why I've started with that one. (laughs) Uh, It's good. So I actually, I live in New York City, but right now I'm outside of New York City because it's kind of kind of freaky to be there. Yeah, my Uh, my brother lives in New York and he was saying like at the moment it's a really weird place to be. Yeah, it... I mean, I have tons of friends that are, are there and doing fine, but you know, in New York, we don't have we don't have yards. You're, I mean, you might live next to a park or something, and have a dog. So, like, you know, it, there's no outdoor space. So, thankfully, I'm actually uh, sheltering in place outside the city in like kind of a a country retreat. So, this background uh, behind me, yeah. this isn't like a a, f- a fake background. This is actually a barn door. The building was built in the late 1700s and then it was converted into a home. So it's like amazing. It's really beautiful looking. (laughs) So on that part, I'm lucky because I'm in my home and like in a a comfortable home outside the city, safe. Um, Obviously, business went to zero, but I'm not the only one. So yeah, can't particularly complain on that topic there. Like has business gone to actual zero or do you still have things coming in? Because you do so many different things. You're so diversified in... Yeah. So I was half lying, but not completely lying <laughs> because I um, I did have anything related to shooting uh, go to complete zero and anything related to teaching in person. I had I had, had I have like a, a workshop time of year, like where I, I have people into my studio and I usually do it in the spring because, you know, I don't have to worry about bad weather and it's not too hot. So I think I canceled, I had to cancel... What was it eight workshops? It was my I just do them all kind of at one time. But because I have diversified my income flow, um, I have written books, so there's royalties from that. I've spoken on different channels. I have my own online education. So all of that is certainly in. It's just it's a a portion yeah. of the usual. Yeah, and I, I planned ahead, so I'm I'm fine. I saved. So you mentioned that you've um, written books. I know in your first book that was about like online marketing, but you didn't really know much about online marketing at the time, right? Yeah. So online marketing, when I wrote this book was, I mean, it was new to everybody, really. There wasn't an Instagram, for example. YouTube was around, but there was not like a YouTube photography, teachers, educators, like at all, like there is now. And so there were a handful of people, a handful of photographers that were thriving in what did exist. There were some people that did well on YouTube. There's others that did well on Twitter was relatively new. Some people that were doing really well on Facebook. And um, so for my first book project, I treated it not as an expert per se, but as someone that would go and interview lots of people that were really successful. I I, I don't know. I think when I was all said and done, I, I interviewed maybe 40 people that were really 
thriving online and then try to distill it down. Like, what are they all doing the same? What do they all have in common? Uh, and since then, there's 8 billion books written on social media. <laughs> yeah. There was hardly anything then, really. And what was it about that time that made you think, I need to write a book, a book's the right platform to portray this information in? It was a time where I figured the people that would be most afraid of social media and engaging online would probably be consuming their content through books. Um, and I thought that it would be a good opportunity to, to help people out that way. I, I, I like digital and video education existed, but again, nothing like it existed yeah. now. So it was still a very common way that people would absorb content. What was it about the online platform that really appealed to you at the time? So I, I had a small business, uh, it was a photography studio in upstate New York. So people, especially outside of New, of the US, think New York, they think just New York City. Well, even in the US, they think New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's actually just like a tiny part and then there's all of upstate. So I had my business about a four hour drive from the city and it was a small town, five to 10,000 people in the area. And what happened to me was I was a, you know, younger and I embraced Facebook, which sounds silly now, but it was newer and I embraced it for my business. And so for high school seniors, which we have in the United States, basically when someone graduates secondary school, yeah. they get portrait session uh, for high school seniors. All of the other photographers were like, I'm not going to share any digital photos. They can't post online. They're not allowed to. And I saw it as an opportunity to market. Um, and so I saw my small business, which was pretty new, really take off because I used Facebook well. And I saw so many other people so aggressively protective over their imagery and not seeing the business opportunities. And I felt the business opportunities myself. So I was trying to let people know it's not out to get you this can be a marketing tool. And honestly, I knew that eventually it would be the marketing tool for most photographers. Yeah, you said something really interesting there. And that really like, reminds me of something that you said before about the fact that if you give away all of your secrets, it only it makes you push yourself. <laughs> and I think yes. that is like the best thing ever because so many people will just hide everything. And I was actually talking to someone the other day and they were saying they overheard someone like have someone like have a go, like be angry at someone else for sharing stuff. And being like, why are you giving mm. away all of these secrets? Because, but I feel like that's obviously just an insecurity within themselves because they've got to a stage where they don't want to push themselves anymore. Oh no, yeah, you're, it's not really how the world works anymore. It's not even like really a question. The information's out there if you if you want it. Yeah. Um, and I th absolutely feel that the more that I share, I watch people catch up and I got to push myself and find news. But I think where people, uh, as you say, uh, have a go, yeah. <laughs> <say> <laughs> um, but where people get upset, um, I think sometimes is people that are sharing with misinformation mm -hmm. because a lot of people are eager to share because they think it'll raise their profile as a photographer, but they don't necessarily know what they're talking about. Um, and I'm not like, it is what it is. There, there's going to be people that are going to share and what they're saying is, is inaccurate or maybe it's misleading, but that's what the internet is. Like you're constantly trying to weed through things that aren't true or not good. So well, I don't think this is any different. Yeah. Like obviously education is such a massive part of what you do. And I know from like being in eighth grade when you had a be a teacher for a day, that was kind of like your <laughs> first experience in like being a teacher. Yeah. What do you think it was about the, or what it is about teaching that 
you get so much joy out of. All right. So one of the things is selfish, like a thousand percent. Well, I felt like that's great. One of the reasons selfish is whenever I have to teach something, I become so, 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 so much better at it. Mm-hmm. When I had like this, the book, the first book, the social media book, I learned so much from writing it that like I find myself to be very successful online now. I wouldn't have been in the same position as I am now if I hadn't have done that. But the same thing is I used to shoot and pose and I I understood a bit about posing. I mean, like I kind of knew aesthetically what was pleasing, but when I had to teach posing and then eventually write a book on it, I had to understand it so deeply that now it's just instant when I'm working with someone. I know what to do because I had to explain it instead of just going like, oh, I know that sometimes I do this and it works. Like now I know why something works. So um, the other reason is less of a a selfish reason, reason, but um, I'm one of those people who I figured out what I wanted to do. I mean, like I kind of, I'd committed that I was going to be a, a professional photographer by age 15. I kind of knew before then, but like 15 is what I said, a thousand percent, this is it, this is plan A, B, C, D, like this is everything I'm going to do. Um, and so I had a lot of time to experiment, make mistakes. I also think as a kid, at least for me, um, anytime I didn't do something well, it was okay because I'm like, oh, I'm a kid, I'm learning. But I feel like as an adult, it's a little bit scarier to do that. It's a lot more vulnerable to be bad at something. And you also don't necessarily have the time to waste on whether it's bad education or you don't have quite the amount of time just to learn only by practice. So long story short, I was lucky pay it forward uh, situation. So I have now officially had a business for more than 20 years. I think last year was 20 years. And I'm not old. (laughs) Um, And I don't think I was, and this, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying like, oh, I'm amazing. But I don't think I was good uh, until over 10 years in. Um, I don't think a lot of people have 10 years to be mediocre, like like bad. (laughs) Um, So try to speed it up for people. On that note, what do you think it was that allowed you to persevere through those 10 years? Well, part of it is I didn't know that I wasn't good. Okay, yeah. <laughs> like, I was comparatively okay. Do you reckon that was because, like, in today, you can go on Instagram, scroll, and you can see some of the best photographers in the world within about four mm-hmm. seconds. Do you yes. reckon that made a difference? I think one of the things that made a difference was um, I actually did go to college for photography. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't that that made me better. No offense, school. Like... That I, it wasn't technique and it wasn't, you know, I didn't find my, my style through guidance or anything like that. It was that when I was there, what I thought of photography and taking pictures of people before it was very limited. I thought of like high school senior portrait photography, yeah. traditional wedding photography. Like it was very, very in the realm of traditional. And when I went to college, they introduced me to what photography could be. And all of a sudden my my mind, my world was opened up and I discovered photographers like Erwin Olaf and I discovered whether it was like, I had heard of Penn and Avedon, like that range, but I had never seen Karsh. I'd ne- so like all of a sudden I'm just bombarded by what good photography is. And then after college, like after I had my small town, I felt like there was expectations of what photos had to be. And I think the big change was when I moved to New York because I didn't have to, in my mind, and it could have been my own restrictions I placed on myself, but in my mind, I didn't have to 
fit into a certain mold of like what traditional portraiture, what like in fashion photography meant to have a style and a unique voice and to be discovering. And so when I got to New York and had to figure out what I was going to be contributing to this grand world of photography, I got better. I think I got better quickly. Yeah, because I've, I've heard you say photography isn't just taking photos, it's a business. For sure. I mean, like I, I was talking to uh, my, my boyfriend about this yesterday. When I, in the world of commercial and fashion photography, there's a certain level that you have to be at te to be technically proficient and be able to provide clients with what they want. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, they're like a lot of the time, they're not choosing you for technique. Often the first time that someone selects you for a job, it's because you had a particular skill set. Oh, this person can do lighting uh, for gels or they clearly know how to photograph skin or something like something stylistically fit yeah. exactly what they needed. But then after that, it's how did you handle the entire process as a business? The problem solving, the production, the, the interactions with the clients, your timeliness, the ease of working with somebody, it's all that. So for any given job, you know, it, it's kind of like the iceberg thing, the, the, the little tip of the iceberg for shooting was, you know, the, the 10% and then the 90% of the production and post-processing and all of that stuff underneath. It's only because like, in London, we run a graffiti company. So one of this, one of our businesses where cool. we paint murals for like people's offices. We now do a lot of big advertising campaigns. So oh, awesome. how there's like companies in New York who hand paint advertising. We do the same, cool. but with spray paint in London. And we say like quite often that we'll spend 90% of our time talking about painting and actually 10% actually <laughs> yeah. painting. Yeah, for sure. On that note, when we kind of say like, you actually spend more time talking about it than doing the thing, you've managed to build a team around you to alleviate that so you can spend more time doing what it is you, you should be doing. Thousand percent. I think one of the things that holds a photographer back from growing and because most people like they, they figure out, I mean, people that end up making a, a run at it and actually being a professional yeah. photographer. Most people figure out how to be a slow moving, begrudging one man show. Like yeah. I mean, the, the photography part's exciting, but then everything else they do themselves because they say, you know, well, like, their bills to pay and photography is expensive. And, but once you get over the hurdle of not trying to hold on to your money, and knowing, okay, I'm going to outsource these particular tasks to other people, it frees you up to do whatever you consider your strength to be. So maybe that's marketing, maybe that's dealing one-on-one -on -one with clients, maybe that's just shooting. Um, some people realize that it's just dealing with clients and it's not even shooting, and then they grow their business where they have a lot of associate photographers underneath them. It's not the direction I went. But yeah, like obviously you gotta be able to pay the basics of the bills, but then people very quickly get excited. They're like, oh, I made this much money. And I never even considered it as existing in my pocket. It was okay, where can I put this back into the business? I didn't even consider it to be mine. I think that's a really important mindset to have when you're first getting started for sure. Like I know you spent seven years in a really small apartment because you <laughs> didn't need more than that. Yeah. And I think, how would you recommend someone getting started, how they treat their finances and how they treat the money coming in because if you've been struggling for a really long time it would be nice to just go and buy that new pair of trainers to go out for dinner but what would you say to people i mean part of, okay so i'm going to give a nice thing and then a mean thing <laughs> um i mean you the, do it the, the other nice, way around and then okay i'll do the mean the nice thing first thing. okay yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay 
the mean one first is that listen the the people that can hold back from instant gratification are the ones that succeed so which are you are you going to be succeeding or not and this is not to, to brag but like i'm one of the few people i know in new york that owns that owns full stop and it's not like because i made a crap ton of money whatever it's like i saved for a long time and lived in a tiny space and didn't buy expensive things and didn't and like I suffered but now I love where I live <laughs> like it, it, it just it depends on what your values are and I think that's the other thing that I should come to bring it back to the more positive things is you know you have to look at what's important to you in your life and maybe you're a live in the moment kind of person you don't know what'll happen next and you don't want to save well I mean just know that there'll be consequences later on and you should consider it and and try to plan I mean considering right now for example and uh, this is another don't get me wrong. I know that the margins are tiny for a lot of photographers. However, in my business account at any given time, I have an, a, a section, like it's, it's basically like a separate uh, business uh, banking account that at any given time, I could bring in $0 and pay the bills I have to pay for six months. Like, but that's not because, oh, I'm so good. That's how you're supposed to run a business. Like you're supposed to, but I, I understand that not everybody can do that. So, but I could take that money and go buy something crazy nice. Like, I, <laughs> I, like that money could go towards something amazing, but then I'd be screwed when something like this happens. So yeah, I, I, I get that it's complicated. So um, I think my actual advice to people would be because money kind of sucks sometimes <laughs> it's a very it's a especially when you're not making much it's like I, I relate people it's not something you want to think about and so you don't actually look at the numbers unless they're really low or you glance at it but not how the numbers play a part of a bigger picture yeah and so one of the recommendations i would make is there's a website and i can look it up. It's it's like the NPPA. I think it's called Income Calculator. And so what it is, it's it's for photographers. And in this, you can put in what your actual monthly expenses look like, and it, it prompts you. So like, you know, are you paying for your driving to and from shoots? And uh, how much do you say per year you spend on camera gear and marketing and all of that? And then it's it's how many jobs do you do? It's either per, I think it's per month or maybe it's per year. And then how much do you need to make to like break even? It lets you know how much you need to be making per job, but then it will also, you can put in your income goals. So if you're like, okay, I really like right now I'm, 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 paying myself 20 grand, like I'm making nothing in a year. I'm just basically, but then you can say, I'd like to be making 65 and we'll let you know how much you need to be bringing in. And you can decide if you up the number of shoots you do or charging more, like you can actually look at it or you go, oh crap, I'm spending a lot over here that I need to cut. It, nobody likes to do this, <laughs> but you have to. Like no one enjoys it. Well, wait, that's not true. Some some people do. Some people do. Yeah. But I feel like some people do enjoy that. And that's why you get someone like an accountant or someone totally. who specializes in that to do those things. And I think when you build a team around you, it should always be with people, not just because they can physically do it, but because they enjoy doing it. And I feel like if you can build a team around you of people who everyone loves what they're doing, mm -hmm. like that's that's the goal. Yeah. And related to that, most of the time how I pick people to work with is there's a base level of skill, but I will absolutely pick someone that I like and get along with over someone who I just 
that personality doesn't vibe, but they have more yeah. experience or skill set. The biggest life change I had is so when I turned 30, I did a, a massive cut. I cut all the crappy people out of my life, business, personal, like everything. And like life didn't get a little bit better. It got a hell of a lot better. So you just have to know when to cut the cord. And you know what? If you don't like this person, whether it's working with them or personal life, like it's not good for them either. Like the, let them go find a place that they'll fit better. And I mean that in relationships as well as business, like all of that, people can find a place where they thrive. So let's go into that a little bit more because that's really interesting. How do you kind of evaluate what to cut and what not to cut? I mean, I had to think about it in my, my life really as a scale. Like, am I getting more or spending more time on them? Like, what, how is it contributing to my life? So for example, um, a really good one, and I'm throwing shade, but there was a makeup artist that I worked with and I considered her like family. And she, I don't know the best way to word this, but there was a lot of drama that would happen. It was just drama over stupid stuff all the time. And I was constantly worried about it constantly. Like, am I going to say the wrong thing? Am I going to do the wrong thing? Is, it, and in the end, I, it was heartbreaking, but I'm like, I'm, I feel like my emotions are getting sucked dry. Like she's talented and I care about her, but it's not working. But that's not something that I did instantly. It's not part of my personality. It just eventually I got to the point where I decided to like, it was one big purge. Like I just was cutting people left and right. And it was easier when it was a bunch of people than one. Because I felt like it yeah. was one big life change. It's like how people don't change their diet a little bit. A lot of people go like crazy diet. Yeah. <laughs> it was that. Exactly. So with kind of developing a team, for someone getting started now, how soon would you recommend that they assemble a team around them? Because I feel like a lot of people go into creative fields, especially if they go freelance, and it is just them. Mm -hmm. And that can be quite lonely, I suppose, and you're only limited in how far you can get to. At what stage do you think it's time to bring a team in around you, whether that's on as staff or just as kind of acquaintances who can do, who do the things that you need them to do? Yeah, well, so when I had my small studio, which I, I actually had a storefront for like two, two and a half years, but I had the business in upstate New York for like eight. Um, yeah. And even though A, I wasn't that good and B, I wasn't, you know, I didn't have tons of income. I always had some sort of assistant around that I was helping. I, I, I mean, I tended to pick young women that I wanted to, to help show them, you know, how I was running a business as an entrepreneur mm -hmm. and they basically paid small stipends, but I would work with them because it was another another person that was passionate about it. So I didn't feel alone. And if, if I needed to work on something, you know, I'd set like, hey, uh, on Wednesday from 12 to five, we're going to be doing whatever menial task, but we would be doing it together. And it was not like I made them do it, is we did it together. So it wasn't like, oh, this person's making me um, do their dirty work. It was like, no, we're working on this together for my business. I actually think most of the time I advise people not to bring people onto staff because as soon as you have overhead of uh, salaries and pay like that, not only is that a lot of extra money, but like these people depend on you and can you support that? And for example, right now, my actual full-time employees, I only have two, but I have a million uh, different contractors, but my business would be in, and I, I mean, obviously I feel for the contractors, but my business would be in trouble if the, let's say, 
you know, the eight contractors I work with most often, if they were on my payroll, like I'd be, I'd be in trouble. You know, I have an accountant, but that's somebody I hire. They don't work for me. The, the two employees I have, I have somebody that's uh, marketing and then somebody that's logistics, bookkeeping and taxes. But my video people are freelance. I hire uh, freelance marketing people, all the hair and makeup, freelance, you know, and then they bring them on for the jobs, but also frees them up if they need to make career changes. And, you know, it's, I think for the freelance world is challenging, but rewarding, you know, as a freelance photographer. How do you think the freelance world is changing? Because I know a lot more people, especially since the phrase entrepreneurship got really trendy, everyone mm-hmm. now is going off on their own and starting things. How have you seen the landscape change? Well, I, uh, I wouldn't even say entrepreneurship. It's the hustle <laughs> that became, yeah. uh, oh, that became popular. I actually, in college, I had three degrees. One was political science whatever it was my liberal arts degree photography and the yeah. third one was entrepreneurship and emerging enterprises so i've always known that i wanted to be a business owner and uh be my own boss how i think people will realize that things have changed so uh you know with the you know world shutdown that we've been experiencing small business owners will realize that they can't have one income stream Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. Because a lot of people, I'm a hairdresser, I'm a photographer, I'm whatever. But if you can't go out in the world and do that thing, there's no, I mean, there's no answer. It's just you're, you're in trouble. Yeah. So I learned a long time ago that diversification of income streams was important. And that doesn't mean you can't diversify within your expertise. Um, and so everyone's going to be a little bit different. So... I think part of that's changed is people are going to think of new ways that they can use their expertise to help others. You should see how many people have started teaching that didn't teach before because they're like, oh crap, I know how to do this thing. I got to do it fast. I also think that people will think a little bit different about their overhead and how many bills that they, they have to pay in order to, to survive. For example, there's a photo education company that I know that got rid of uh, their their main studio overhead. And I think that was really good decision for them because although we can still make money at this time, there's going to be a downturn in the economy. And that if that big yeah. overhead wasn't necessary, it's probably a good idea. Yeah, I think office space is going to take a massive hit after all of this because it's like, I, I don't know what it's like over there, but everyone in England is working from home at the moment. Mm-hmm. So basically the whole centre of London is vacant office space mm-hmm. and people are still getting by. Like work is still happening as normal. I've been talking to a few friends who their business, like there's been no downturn in money. It's just continuing as normal. And I feel like they realise that they don't actually need that space now. I know one of them's realising actually they're a big, they work a lot in sustainability and for their staff not to have to drive to work every day mm. is a huge reduction in their carbon footprint. That's so awesome. they're now thinking about how can we adapt this for the future? Yeah, I mean, I always wondered because I think, like for myself, I work really well at home because if I'm in an office situation, I I get distracted by people. I need to focus on something. If someone comes over and talk, like wants to talk to me, I feel bad if I don't talk to them. And then I get yeah. grouchy and I resent them because they're interrupting <laughs> me, like that whole thing. And I think some people will obviously struggle without the social interaction that you get uh, in that kind of office environment. But I think in some ways, if you, especially with businesses that you're not holding people to hours, you're holding them to tasks, things that they yeah. must accomplish. 
I think people, because they want their home, they're not going to just fill their time and take their time. They're going to try to get that stuff done. And I think it can ultimately be more rewarding for life. Because if you get the stuff done, you got to get done and then you can go enjoy something. See, I'm exactly the same view in terms of like how I like to work. Like I love being on my own. I can happily just work for hours. Like just I get stuff done. Whereas if I'm in the office, it's I'm answering people's questions all day and it's just you're torn all over the place and you don't really get to get do any deep work, I suppose, is the, is the phrase. I think what is a great solution, what could happen is if people just say, you can come into work if you want to, but if you want to work from home, do that because then it allows everyone because some people who do need other people around and want that kind of social connection the whole time still have that. But then the people who need the quiet time can go and do that as well because everyone's different. And I feel like offices are either built in one way or another. They don't really suit every single mm -hmm. person so i feel like if that people adapted to that that could work really well yeah and so i met a woman in las vegas whose daughter had been being homeschooled forever so it wasn't because of the pandemic and the daughter would be homeschooled but every evening there was some kind of social activity that she would do whether it was gymnastics yeah. or something and then once a month they would get together even though it was a virtual class they would get together as a class uh, in person for an activity, whether that was ice skating or something like that. I think people might adapt and maybe have a more robust social life because if they can get their day more concise and get things done and then they're not exhausted and they might actually want to go see people instead of feeling like, oh, I just had to deal with people all day. It <laughs> might be better. So in everything you do, like you teach so much. How do you learn? That's a good question. I learn in a billion different ways. Um, so... I, Sometimes I'll watch other people teach. It doesn't tend to be that. It doesn't mean that there's not good, valuable yeah. stuff out there. But sometimes it'll be experimentation. Like I'm trying to figure out a new lighting technique. So I'm experimenting with my, for myself. I'll read things, especially sometimes old content. Like one of the things, I keep saying my boyfriend, so uh, he's a photographer, Chris Knight. Uh, one of the things he showed me was uh, he had this book written by the masters of photography from like the 1950s. And it's like a, a, it's oh, a course and it's lighting and posing. And it's like, it's in some ways, because it's so simple and to the point, it's better than what's out there. Because a lot of times people just speak and write to fill space. And it's just, it's so to the point and strong. And, and these are the masters. I mean, it, it was, it had Penn, Avedon, Halsman, um, cars like I think everybody was amazing so sometimes it's reading sometimes it's research I'm also lucky to have lots of photographer friends so sometimes we just sit around and talk and like try to yeah. break something apart and discover something so you know not to have sounding boards to uh try to come up with new ideas and in terms of being social with other photographers do you have a nice community of people that you do have a soundboard yeah for sure my whole life pretty much consists of photography and photo related friends. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have anything yeah. outside of it. This is it. So it's hairstylists and makeup artists and wardrobe stylists. Like we'll go out and have something to eat or drink after. Um, or, you know, I, one of our good photographer friends, he also does my videos sometimes. Like he came over for a barbecue. Like I, I don't, I have a couple of friends from when I was younger or college, but it's pretty much, photography talk 24 7. do you do anything when you're not talking about photography do you have anything else or is it just this is your one and i mean no i think this is pretty much it that doesn't mean i don't have other interests within like i, I like beautiful cinematography and there's other you know there's artists and but nope 
nope, this is it. It's, it's somehow photo <laughs> art related. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to try to, uh, I like travel. How's that? The most generic person, like, <laughs> answer that you could possibly have. Uh, let me. And another thing you can't do right now yeah, as well. Yeah, true. No, I'll, I'll word that better. Uh, I like exploration. So I like mm-hmm. exploring things. It could be within my own city. It could be exploring and looking at a new artist or it could be actual travel exploring. Yeah. Uh, so in terms of like your style, because I feel like if you go through, if you look at your portfolio of work, it's so diverse in like there's some beauty, there's some like things, loads of gels. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so, so many different styles of images. Do you think it's a good idea to have a really broad range of the things that you can do? Or do you reckon that's something you would do later on in your career? Because I know like getting started, you, as you mm-hmm. kind of mentioned earlier, like someone will notice you for being good at one thing. Yeah. Do you reckon when you're getting started, you should just stick to one and then branch out later or the... Oh man. So this is the eternal question. And this is the question that everybody struggles with because there's not a right answer, but there is a right answer. Uh, because in the beginning, mm-hmm. you feel like you have to shoot everything because... You're just taking whatever money you can get. And also in the beginning, it's good to shoot multiple things because you don't know what your strength and expertise is and you you need to hone that in. But the real answer for marketing is, you know, you need a specialty and you need to have something that people know you for. But that can also become a style. So your visual style can then be put onto multiple subjects. So you can have a way that you shoot that translates to how you shoot men, women, fashion, families. It's more of the lens through which you see the world rather than like I shoot one thing. It's you shoot romance, you shoot joy, you shoot drama, you shoot like it's those words and how they're placed onto the subject that you're capturing. So when you're younger, I know like as an art director told you that what you were doing wasn't particularly memorable. Yeah. What is it you did to then go and stand out? So when I was trying to figure out my style and my unique voice, I wrote and, you know, did like journaling type stuff to try to be reflective. Yeah. But long story short is I would analyze work that spoke to me. But instead of just saying like, oh, God, like this is how I used to be. Oh, my God, this photographer is amazing. I can never be like that. And then just put them in a separate category. I tried to go, no, what is it that I like about this photographer? Can I take an element of their color theory or the hair and makeup they use or the lighting or something? And can I give myself an assignment to try to channel that thing I'm in love with? And then uh, I shot every single Sunday for a year Mm -hmm. with just different assignments that I would give myself. And then after this year of shooting, a style started to emerge. Like there just started to be a way that I to a groove of seeing things. So I could steal this person's lighting, but still make it look like my own because I had found that, that voice. And in the begin, beginning, it was like mediocre ripoffs of what other people had done. And eventually, you know, I, I was able to add my own twist to it. And what did these assignments look like? Uh, so sometimes it would be, uh, I'd look at a, a photographer and their images were storytelling. Uh, like that there's certain people... Uh, like maybe I'd look at it, I was talking about Erwin Olaf. An example would be like, okay, he had the low key, I forget what it was called, the black, the black series. And so it was like black people or people in latex with black textures on a black background with black sets with black. And so I would say, okay, oh, I, wanna, I wanna try that. I wanna do a, a low key black on black on black where all it is is the most subtle of distinctions between uh, the details and the tonalities. And so yeah. I would 
not do the same subject matter, but I would say, okay, I want this technique. And then somebody else I'd look at and go, I love that makeup. I'm going to steal that makeup. But let me look over here and I love this uh, lighting. And let me see if I can combine them. It was a lot of, a lot of that, like uh, trying to come up with my own recipes and cooking. And sometimes it would taste awful. And sometimes I was very proud of what I came up with. Yeah. And is that something you would recommend that other people do in a creative field? Like just try everything. Shoot as much as possible as possible. Like that's, I mean, I think we were talking about this earlier, but some of the people that are offended by sharing secrets and are more protective, they're the ones that aren't shooting enough. Because you should, you should constantly be evolving. It doesn't mean that you have to change completely, but keep trying new things. I, I still do at least twice a month shoots where there's no clients just for fun, just for the, the love of experimenting. Right. So kind of changing the topic now, the, like especially when you were first getting started, you would send out like shots to magazines all the time and get no response. Like I think I saw something saying you sent over to, to 200 different magazines totally, <laughs> and you didn't get a single yes. How do you get through that? Because a lot of people would send half that amount and just stop because they're like, well, this, this clearly isn't working. Uh, part of it is if you aren't a uh, in-demand photographer, what else are you doing with your time? <laughs> like, I have nothing better to do. I might as well just keep sending out and eventually someone will like it. I think part of it was I also knew I like I didn't think that the photos were necessarily bad. I just figured that they were ignoring me or they have a lot of other contacts and to be honest yeah. the real way that I ended up getting into big magazines was not because I was submitting and emailing them which I did get into some that way but it would yeah. was because like oh there's someone I knew the hairstylist had worked with this magazine the makeup artist uh, had an in with this editor and so what I felt in the beginning was kind of right like there you know the system was rigged against me and so you know after sending a thousand emails I was a dozen publications. That's actually not that bad. Yeah. And um, obviously like you've sent all of these things and you're not getting a response back. I know at some point you actually like paid to get your portfolio reviewed by people to get some experts to say like, look, this is what we want. How important do you I think it is do to that. do that? Um, I think it's extremely important because, well, twofold. One of the things that is a side of social media, what tends to happen, it, it will, it's both good and bad, right? So you get people that follow you that they follow you because they like what you do. So they're just going to tell you everything is good. Um, and so they just yeah. keep doing more of the same, but you might be a little bit off base from what your clients are actually interested in. So it's both good and bad. It's nice to curate a following that wants what you have to offer, but you also need real critique from people that know what they're talking about. Yeah, I think that's a really great thing to do. Even just like the fact that not enough people stop and look back at what they've been doing. I feel like so many people just have just look a bit looking forward constantly that you don't have time to sit and really think about what you're doing and if you're still passionate and if you're still heading in the direction that you want to be going in because I feel like passions change as you grow and as kind of uh, over time so it is good to be able to just look back and kind of see see where you've come and see where you want to go so there I feel like taking people's advice from people you respect is obviously yes. a really important thing and I think that's a really really like in researching you I think that was one of my favorite parts that came out of it is that taking advice from people you respect and not from people you yes. don't respect because it's like if someone sends you something yes. stupid on a comment somewhere and you don't respect mm -hmm. that person 
don't let that affect you. Totally. I mean, I think I think there's a couple of places this comes into uh, into clear focus. Is one of them would of course be social media. People giving you un okay. Everybody, PSA: Do not give people opinions of their work if they don't ask for it. Like it's so rude and so irritating. Uh, but the other thing that happens is the downside is if somebody gives you this critique or this feedback, you don't know who the heck they are. And then you take it to heart. Like you're like, oh, maybe this person's right. Well, I mean, who are they? But then the other part of this is if you get feedback from somebody you don't respect, but you just felt like, oh, well, you know, I know I'm supposed to get feedback. Then you can just go, well, uh, well, I think they were wrong. But so when I go in and get feedback from a photographer that I respect or, uh, an you know, someone that works in an advertising agency, I'm actually going to listen and take it to heart and not dismiss it. Because I see so many photographers that have an excuse for everything. And that's what happens at critiques. I sit down and, and I will critique people. I'll give my time. And they're like, oh yeah, but I couldn't do this here. And I'm like, in the end, people see the images, not the excuses. So that's what you have to focus on. Boom. Thanks so much for this. I've had a really good chat. You've been super inspiring. Uh, where can people find you online? Sure. Uh, the place I interact the most is Instagram. So it's at Lindsay Adler underscore photo. And you can learn from me at learnwithlindsay.com. Brilliant. Thank you so much. It was great to chat with you. Thanks so much for listening. To get any value from these episodes, it would mean the world to us if you could share the podcast with someone who needs it. You can always reach out to us on Instagram at rebelscreate or head over to creativerebels.co. And remember, always be creating. See ya.